You are listening to the Seaworthy Podcast, episode 16, Scaling Remote Work. Seaworthy is a podcast about building successful software. Today, we're talking about scaling teams and product at the world's largest design community with Zach Anisco of Dribble. I'm excited to have Zach Anisco on the show with me today. Zach's a CEO of everyone's favorite design network, Dribble. Welcome to see with you, Zach. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm good, Andrew. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing good as well. How was uh, how was your holiday break? We're just after the holidays here. It it was good. Uh, it wasn't long enough. Um, I, I think it, we had a weird uh, weird schedule of days where you know Christmas and New Year kind of felt midweek, and so I felt like we've been away forever. Um, so so now I'm back relearning everything about our business. It's been so long. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was good. We got, we got good. a puppy for Christmas, which is, uh, which is fun. New addition to the family for the, for the kids or, or your wife's decision. It's, or? it's, it's, you know, it was for the kids and you know, I, I was very excited as well. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Good. So, uh, yeah. yeah, before we jump in, can you tell us a little bit about your background, kind of how you started in design and, um, I think the more interesting side is is just more product and growth and just the experience you've had over the years in helping companies not only uh, solidify their offering, but grow that and grow the teams. So can you tell us more about how you got into startups, uh, design and product kind of together, taking us back maybe to, I don't know, maybe starting at high school? Yeah. I mean, in, in high school, I, you know, I think like, <laughs> like a lot of designers, we start out you know, playing music or we're in bands and, and our friends are in bands and we're making flyers and posters and t-shirts and stickers. And, and that's kind of how I first started dabbling in graphic design. Um, you know, a little bit after high school, I, a couple of my friends moved to San Diego and, and pitched me on the, the idea of living on the beach with them. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a, like a good plan. So I, I moved down there and um, was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And another buddy of ours, um, you know, was was working re- remote and um, as a web designer and asked to crash on our couch for a couple of days. And, you know, he was working on a, a client project and, and was like, you know, stuff was moving across the screen. And this was like early days of Flash, right? Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. I've never seen anything like this. This is, you know back then it was, it was pretty cutting edge. And, um, and so he like sat me down and, and kind of taught me, you know, the basics of, of kind of motion design and flash. And, and from there I was kind of hooked. And then I started, you know, fast forward a few years, started, uh, you know, doing projects for mom and pops and, and paying rent. Right. And, and making, you know, uh, it was, I still had a, a, a full-time job. I worked for a, as a, tech support guy at a, a software company down there in San Diego. Um, but then on the nights and weekends, I was, I was making websites for small businesses and, um, and, and just got hooked and decided to go back to school and came back up to San Francisco and, uh, earned a, 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 a BA and, and, uh, in, in graphic design basically. Um, and then, you know, the first job out of college was, um, uh, a design gig on a, on a big marketing team for a startup is a very fast growing startup. They won like the Webby award that year for fastest growing hmm. startup. And, um, and I was kind of thrown in this marketing team, which was kind of a new world for me where, you know, 
the stuff that I had built and created along the way. So it's really, you know, built for aesthetics and, and, you know, a lot of just, I just wanted things to look really good. And then on the marketing team, I had these guys who were, you know, throwing printouts of, uh, of spreadsheet tables in front of me and showing me, you know, what was working, what was performing, what was not working, you know, Mm -hmm. not performing. And, you know, that got me really excited. Uh, well, one, I was, I was, you know, they kind of sold me on this idea that I was, and this is back in the day when a lot of the the advertisement were big, flashy, you know, I was making flash ads, right? right? So flash banners, flash banners and this sort of thing. But, um, but we had cool, we had cool clients and we were doing stuff, um, you know, on, on our platform as a big publisher site. And then we also, you know, uh, advertise our own products, um, on other platforms. And so, uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, creating this, this, uh, this artwork, these, these creatives, but what really got me excited was the performance and like reaching millions of people and getting to, you know, what, what I learned later was like statistical significance mm-hmm. between, you know, this one over the other thing and, and kind of understanding the user psychology of, okay, this is why this one was more alluring or appealing versus this other unit. Right. Um, and so that was kind of my first foray into like, um, into data and AB testing. I, I was really kind of, I started to pull in that direction as just something that was, it just made sense to me. It was very logical and it kind of, um, you know, a marriage left brain, right brain type of thing. Um, Fast forward, um, I, I moved off the marketing team of this company and started to do more um, product design um, type of work uh, for various teams in the company. The company was acquired by Monster.com, um, and then we we kind of carved out into kind of a studio business where there was a bunch of different uh, businesses that were running internally. Mm-hmm. And what I saw at the time was that you know design was really uh, you know, features, functionality, the product was really being invented in engineering. And then by the time it got to design, design was really just about making it look pretty. Yeah. And I was really interested in like moving the numbers. Like how do I actually make a more effective product that is solving user problems? And um, and, and back then the way that I saw to actually make, uh, to be involved at that step in the, the, the process was to, to move into product management. And so I kind of moved out of design um, and then, you know, kind of officially took on one of these business units as a PM and, um, and did that, you know, there was, you know, and it was kind of PM slash project management, right? There was, there was like the, the creating the tasks and, and that sort of it, uh, you know, managing the, the various functions on the team. Um, but what I really loved was like kind of post launch and, and optimization and, uh, just kind of learning how users were were using a particular feature or functionality, and um, so when we fast forward, you know that kind of became this this new moniker that I don't know what when that popped up, but this kind of you know product management with more of a data mm-hmm. slant kind of became growth, right? Like right. Op- optimization and, and fine tuning of a, of a product, um, you know, to basically make products better and perform better. Um, and so, you know, went, left that company, um, the, the, actually the co-founder of that company, uh, 
after the acquisition, he he retired at like 33 or whatever, <laughs> traveled the world for a year, came back. We, we, we used to play Texas Hold'em at the office. Yeah. And we were like the last two people at the table at like 11 o'clock at night. And he's like, you know what? I, I'm getting the itch again. Let's, let's go start a company. I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm in. So gave, <laughs> gave notice and, um, you know, started a company, uh, with him and that, you know, spent the next five years, multiple pivots. Eventually we, we created a, a product called branch out was, which was basically, uh, LinkedIn on the Facebook platform in mm-hmm. the kind of the, the wild, wild west of the Facebook API days. Um, and, and then, you know, kind of carved off, uh, hung up my PM duties and, and really focused in on growth of that particular product. Um, and, and it took off, we ended up, you know, uh, the user base grew to like, you know, 25 million users in 30 days or, or like 90 days, three months, um, raised a bunch of money, like, you know, raised $50 million from, from top VCs and, um, and that's, you know, that was, that was, uh, an incredible kind of like just thrown to the fire, just tons of growth. We went from, you know, six guys in an office space that was, uh, what didn't have level floors to moving into, you know, a 30,000 square foot office space where the, the mayor of San Francisco was doing, you know, uh, fundraising in our office and, and this craziness. So, um, but yeah, I mean that from there, um, you know, was with the company for five years. Left and and joined a small YC company uh, called Creative Market, which was um, formerly Color Lovers. They went into YC as Color Lovers, which was mm-hmm. like a color palette community. If you remember that, yeah. Um, and then coming out of YC, they were Creative Market, so they wanted to take a new spin on stock assets, um, give designers more of, uh, you know wanted to give them the, the comp, the, the majority of the compensation modeled the app store model, the, the 70, 30 model where a lot of the other stock sites were, you know, giving 10, you know, 15% to the creators. Right. Um, and, and worked there for the next, uh, few years, um, ended up being, uh, acquired by Autodesk, joined Autodesk for a few years, um, left Autodesk, worked at hired, um, hired.com. Um, down there 11th and market, um, in San Francisco and, uh, and then, uh, and then about three years ago, joined, joined dribble. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the, the path. Sounds like a fun ride. And, and where, uh, where's hometown for you again? I'm in Walnut Creek. I'm, I'm in the East Bay, uh, just outside of San Francisco. You're born and raised down in Southern Cal. No, I'm I'm an East Bay boy. You are. I'm, I'm from uh, yeah, born and raised in the Bay Area. Yeah. So Bay Area, and then went down to San Diego area. And... Yeah, San Diego was a stint after high yep. school. You know, gotcha. MTV did their uh, their what was that thing called? Like the spring break. Yeah, spring break. San Diego. <laughs> right there in front front of our house. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was a, a couple of years down there. Then noisy hightailed it hightailed it back to San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it sounds like, yeah. yeah, a lot of good experience going in from design to to product. And yeah. I think that's an opportunity that a lot of designers don't get that we're, they're trying, you know, the design industry, you know, we always talk about getting a place at the table and getting closer to the metrics. And I think yeah. that's where that's like the perfect intersection when you can put away your preferences for what's actually working and put down the ego of this is what I designed to like, 
this is the results it brings, not only the people we're serving, but the business so that we can continue to do this. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as designers, we're very, we're just naturally detailed oriented people, right? We're very, um, very focused on particular features and, and very like, you know, certain parts of, of a product. Um, and, and one of the, you know, one of the things that, that really pushed me towards kind of the business side was having more of a holistic view of a business. What are all the different aspects of an, of a, of a product and an ecosystem? And, you know, what are all the different bells and whistles and levers and all the different functions in the business too, right? From, from not only engineering and, you know, um, the folks responsible for the product itself, but sales and marketing and customer service. And all these are very important functions to, to run a business. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think if there was one thing, one piece of advice, you know, for, for designers who are coming up and uh, looking to expand their, their skill set, just, you know, learning more about um, the different functions in a business finance, mm-hmm. right? Finance seems really scary, but if you ever want to run your own business, you have to like, you know, eat, sleep and breathe, especially your, P- SAS, your P&L finance. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know, you have to just understand how to uh, how, how to keep a balanced book, you know, and make sure that your employers are, are being paid and make sure that your your business is growing. Right. And, and healthy. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of brought you into, you know, you had kind of an evolution from designer to product to growth um, and now ultimately into you know, into this role at Dribble three years ago, where I yeah. think you said you mentioned it was eight, uh, a team of eight at the time. Or can you kind of take us back to when you were hired? What type of environment Dribble was at that time? Yeah. So I, from Creative Market days, I, I, you know, we knew Dan and Rich really well. We, we, um, I ran marketing, and so we were sponsors of of the meetups globally, and we did some parties at South by Southwest together for for a few years in a row. Um, so I had a good relationship with those guys, um, Andrew and Chris, who ended up buying, um, a, a stake of, of Dan and Rich's, uh, shares in the company. Uh, I, I knew those guys for a long time too. And so there was, it, it was kind of an easy landing, um, just having those relationships already. Uh, but the team was small, right? So the team was eight people it was a fully remote team. Um, you know, and it was kind of like, well, what do we do? You know? And, um, I remember, you know, at that time thinking like, okay, should we go get a WeWork in, in Oakland or should we start looking for office space and start to build out the team, you know, here in the Bay area. And, you know, I, I have a young family and at my last gig, I was commuting, you know, an hour each way into San Francisco. And I was basically leaving, uh, leaving for work before they would wake up and coming home after they're in bed, just not seeing my family during the week. And so selfishly, I was like, well, the team's already remote. Yeah. So let's just make, let's just invest in, in doing this, this thing remotely. Um, you know, I knew the guys from, from Envision and Automatic and I've seen how they successfully have grown into hundreds or I think maybe even the thousands of employees at this point, you know, fully remote. Um, so kind of felt safe. Like if they could do it, we could probably do it too. It just, yep. uh, you know, obviously a much smaller scale. Um, so yeah, so, you know, we, um, 
you know, I'm in my home office now in, in Walnut Creek and, and the team is distributed today all over Northern, uh, Northern America. We have an entity in Canada, so payroll in Canada and U.S. Um, and people are literally spread out, you know, kind of all over. Yeah. And, um, and it's, and it's worked great. We're, uh, you know, just under 40 people now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a good, uh, kind of not, not really forced into, but you had the option early on. I think a lot of companies, you know, they start local and it's harder to make the decision. It's almost that sunk cost fallacy of, should we go remote? Like we know there's benefits to it. You know, I think I think this whole dribble experience has been a big lesson for me in, um, you know, the the Silicon Valley wisdom of what you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. you know, as a startup is not is not always the right way forward for every company. And, yeah. you know, and then, you know, when, when you're kind of given the keys to a company as CEO, it's basically, well, you, you're, you're kind of running the, you're steering the ship at this point. So which directions, what, what decisions do you want to make? Um, and so, you know, Silicon Valley wisdom is like, you go raise millions of dollars so that you have a cushion in the bank. Um, we didn't do that. So we're, we, we had to stay profitable and, and very, you know, again, like, you know, understanding a PL and and understanding the, your, 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 your finances are, are super important. Um, the other wisdom is like with that money you raise, you go get expensive, you know, uh, office space in San Francisco or, or one of these hubs, New York or whatever, where there's a sea of talent. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, the reality is that office space is super expensive. Um, at my last company, our rent was $225,000 a month. Wow. We shared the same building with Uber and Square. And, you know, every week, uh, probably half my team would hit me up to work remote, uh, work from the coffee shop or work from their house. Because, you know, in that open office format, it's just this sea of noise and everyone's wearing noise canceling headphones just to get any work done. Um and so, you know, it's like, well, that's an expense that we don't have to, you know, if we, if we want to mind our expenses, let's, let's not sign a three or five or seven year, uh, office space lease. Um, especially up, see, upwards of quarter of a million per month. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's at a whole other scale. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, they raised hundreds of millions of dollars, whatever, but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is expensive, you know, even a small office is expensive in the Bay area. And then in terms of talent, you know, what we've seen is that, you know, there's just not a whole lot of um, tenure is really short, right? Mm-hmm. Because in, in San Francisco, you can, you go take a job at a company, you work there for six, nine months, you get, you add their logo to your resume and you just walk across the street and you demand a 10% raise. And, and so there's just not a whole lot of loyalty and there's, there's expense in, in training and and recruiting and hiring and trying to you know build a team and, and building relationships within the team and mm-hmm. um and what we've seen with the remote team is that it's it's um one people stay a lot longer um it gives the team a lot more freedom and flexibility to kind of build their perfect day if they need to run and and you know run errands or we had a um, a developer on the team who coached his kid's soccer team would leave at three, no problem, comes back, throws in a couple more hours, finish up his day at night. 
Um, so we try to make a flexible, um, you know, environment. Um, and also you don't have to, you know, sit in the, sit in an hour of traffic or, or ride, uh, a train that's packed like sardines, right. You know, to get to that office space, to put on your noise canceling headphones. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was really an experiment that we ran, you know, and I think at the time it's like, let's give it six months. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can make this work. And it's, it's really just blossomed and it's become a, a, a pretty big foundation to our culture at this point. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of companies that are finally, you know, like you mentioned, uh, automatic. Uh, I forget mm-hmm. the other one you mentioned. Um, Envision is fully remote. We're yeah. we're kind of in this weird spot where we have, we're hybrid, right? We have yeah. like, we're in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We have yeah. about half of our team here, about 16, 17 people. The other half is remote. That has proven to be really challenging to to make sure that you're building a culture that's intentional and that the people that are remote aren't feeling left out of the things yeah. that, you know what I mean? You just get certain people get together after work or, you know, certain things yep. happen or for lunch. And that's a challenge we're trying to get over right now and, and just make sure that everyone feels a part of that process. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I experienced that at, um, you know, our last company was hybrid as well. And, uh, but also globally. So we had offices in 17 cities around the world. Um, but San Francisco was headquarters and there were a lot of decisions that were being made in headquarters and it just wasn't being communicated yeah. outside of that office. And so um, that was kind of a lesson with with going fully remote is it kind of forced us to over communicate and over document a lot of the happenings with the company and things do slip through the cracks. Right. So yep. different teams, there's like silos and you have to constantly work to tear down the silos and over communicate. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that that, that was one thing. Um, and I think just, you know, nothing really beats actual FaceTime and seeing people, you know, in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so twice a year we try to get together in person, um, you know, and we do kind of a week of like laptops down, just hanging out. We go to museums, we go, you know, go out to dinner and, and have events and, um, and that helps to kind of connect everybody. Yeah. Um, and then we're kind of good for the next six months until we do it again. Yeah, I think it's, it's a similar model to what we have. We have four four weeks a year, but only, you know, one of those is is actually for uh, between Christmas and New Year. So really, the break, the holiday yeah. break, we just came from. Otherwise, we have you know, kind of three weeks. And that, if we didn't do, if we didn't do that, I think it'd be really hard to build camaraderie on the team and have you know really build that trust that yeah. you need to be successful together on any team. Um, yeah. yeah. So so you went from eight. Uh, to now, I don't forget if you mentioned just over 40 or just around 40. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think how has the know, org changed? Um, say 30, 37, 38, yeah. if I was to guess. Um, no, I mean, the org, the org is constantly evolving. Right. And I think that's, um, you know, we, we've run some experiments with certain functions, you know, do we need, you know, this size of a sales team? We've scaled back the sales team a bit at this point. Um, we've, uh, but you know, it's, it's, I think it's a typical org, right? We have a support mm-hmm. group, we have, uh, product design, front end engineering. Um, we have, uh, one guy who runs data, data science. So that, that was a, a new function. He's actually been fantastic. We hired him as a, a data analyst intern and, um, and he's just kind of been teaching himself, uh, data science and, and he's, you know, really helped to, um, 
just mature a lot of our our foundations of of the platform um, with the work that he's doing. Um, we have a, a content team, so uh, content slash community team, um, and then uh, and yeah, like sales is is you know three or four people, and then uh, operations slash finance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned, obviously, you know, you're, you're the CEO of Dribbble. You, you've come yeah. from a design background, a product background, a growth background. As CEO, yeah. you know, kind of making sure everything's integrated together, running smoothly, uh, the team's on the same page, you're building the culture, you're helping recruit. What does the day-to-day look like for you in, in as far as involvement in the product and in kind of the growth efforts that you have? Yeah, so I've I've been... As you can imagine, it's evolved, right? As we've scaled up the team, I've, um, you know, when we we're smaller, I, I took on a lot of that responsibility, trying, you know, as, to a fault where yeah. I was, I was the bottleneck, right? Nothing could get done without my approval. And as we built the team, I've just been handing off a lot of that responsibility to, you know, stakeholders, you know, on the team. And so, you know, Michael, who who we were talking about before the call, who who we we acquired his business crew. Um, he runs product now. And so he's, he's making a lot of the, the product decisions, but one-on-one we meet weekly and kind of run through everything that he's thinking. And I kind of give feedback at that level. And then he goes and, and kind of takes that back to the, the fuller team Yeah. versus, you know, it, me going in and like stepping on toes and For you know, sure. I want to be, uh, interference at this point. Um, yeah, but just providing that that background knowledge and maybe insight yeah. from from your career, like, hey, that sounds great, but here's maybe one thing to here's one gotcha you should watch out for. Here's yep. maybe something else to consider. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think my my day to day right is is I have direct reports who are the leaders at each functional group, and you know each one of those comes with a whole set of responsibilities and conversations and. Um, but I think the one area that I do gravitate the more the most towards is the product side. Um, so I spend a lot of time there, and um, you know, just brainstorming and and you know, coming up with new ideas with the team. Um, and then the big one is is you know, once you have that list, um, we just had the whole product team out to San Rafael, which is in Marin County and north of San Francisco. Um, we rented this sweet airbnb on the water and there was like a boat and like all this cool stuff but anyway um we hung out there and just like you know just threw everything against the wall like what are all the ideas that we can come up with yeah um and and we're not short on cool ideas right there's so many cool things we can do um but there's only so many hours in the day and and so the next kind of step was to take that list and we kind of ran through like okay what do you think we can actually get done next year Mm -hmm automatically that list is kind of like cut in half and then you go through another like round of kind of prioritization you go through that and you're like okay what of this list what what do you think is is you know the most important stuff the most impactful stuff to to the community and the platform and you know that then the list kind of like gets cut in third again you know so then it kind of left with okay here's the roadmap for at least the next two quarters um but i I enjoy that kind of stuff you know I, i enjoy the data i enjoy um, you know, the finance side of the business, you know, and, you know, I, I tend to, um, just naturally kind of pull in those directions. So that's where I spend a lot of my time. Um, but what people don't tell you, (laughs) 
about the the CEO role is is kind of the people side. And so I also spend a lot of time with HR and, you know, you know, this person said this or this this is happening, mm-hmm. or there's like, you know, there's we we have a three month uh um paternity leave and and so sometimes people forget to tell us they're leaving until just <laughs> just before they're about to leave for three months. And so, you know, so there's there's you know, hiring and you know, the whole HR side of the business is is something I spend a lot of time on, um, even though it's probably not my favorite yeah. part. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Headway. Headway helps startups and corporations bring entrepreneurial ideas to market and keep them there. Whether you want to bring a new idea to life or improve the one you already have, Headway can help through product strategy, design, and development. For more information, you can head to our website at headway.io. Through this podcast, Headway is excited to give back to the community because we all know a rising tide lifts all ships. So go forth and make waves. So you mentioned a little bit about like prioritization and coming up with ideas. Are there any any frameworks that you know that you use or any any ways of prioritizing, you know, sprints, um, tools, yeah. things that you use to really to, you know, gear towards business, you know, achieving those business goals? So I you know, we we've we've done them all. Yeah. Right. So there's there's no there's no perfect framework or methodology, right? Yeah. I think for every different stage in a in, in a business, you need to have a different framework and methodology for how you get work done. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of tool set, right? I've I've probably used a dozen different project management tools. Um, there's always pros and cons with each of them. Um, I started. You know, 20 years ago with Jira, and now we've come back and we use Jira at Dribble. And I, I have like PTSD with Jira, <laughs> so I just refuse to log in. I heard it's a lot better. I'm just, I just don't get in the weeds at this point. Yep. Um, but in terms of process internally, um, you know, something we did this year is we, um, you know, we we grew the size of the team, and so we had to we had to mature our, um, you know, our product process, and we've, um you know, evolved our, our deployment process. We've evolved our, um, the way that we do sprints. So we were doing weekly sprints. We've evolved like two week sprints. Um, we've changed the way that we kind of tackle projects where it, I mean, it, you know, no fault to, to Dan and Rich, but back then it was very, there was no roadmap, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like, Hey, what should we build this week? Right. And, and some of the guys be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go build this because somebody tweeted something and I'm going to, you know, go, go fix this for them or, or add this feature. Um, and so now we, we, you know, we have more of a, you know, strategy in place and, and more of a direction of where we want to go. And so, um, we don't have a Gantt chart per se, but we do have kind of a, you know, a kind of a master list of, of epics, if you were. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there that gets kind of broken out on the, on the various product teams and, and pods to, um, to break into tasks. We've moved from, you know, product managers, you know, writing scope to, you know, engineering, front end, whoever to write the scope, depending on, you know, is the project more of that function, Yep. you know? So it's a work in progress, man. I I don't think we'll we'll ever be done or ever find like the perfect, you know, um, 
way to get work done. I think from my perspective as CEO, I've um, my job is to just try to keep pushing efficiencies into into workflows. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned like working remote, like one rule, rule, not you know official rule, but we we tend to only hire within North America because we're time zone sensitive. We we ran some experiments working with some folks in Europe, and it's just really hard to wait like a twenty four hour cycle to get somebody unblocked. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, now we work in this like three hour gap and, you know, ask East coast people, can you please, you know, if you can, you know, based on your family needs or whatever, but if you can start later and West coasters, if you can start earlier, well, then we're going to maximize the, you know, the coverage that we have across the team. And so if somebody's blocked or has a question, you can instantly answer that, you know, in Slack or, or, or what have you. Um, you know, we try to do um, no meeting Thursday and Fridays, um, at least the ICs, mm-hmm. right? So that they're free to cancel meetings in those days to just really go heads down and focus on their work in a, uh, uninterrupted, free to close Slack. You know, um, you throw your, your phone number in your, you know, somebody could text you if, if it's an emergency. Right. Um, but kind of gives people just time to go heads down. Um we try to keep all our internal meetings towards the front of the week. And then, you know, some of the, the leadership folks, we, we book our outside meetings on those, um, those days, the ICs are heads down. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we don't have like a hard pressed, like 40 hour work week role, but we, we want to try to keep, you know, everyone with a very healthy work-life balance. Yep. We see that that provides just better output of work than people grinding on. We don't want people working nights and weekends on stuff because that's when you know bugs are released and just just bad product one of our core values is to not push anything we're not proud of and so that's when that's when we start pushing things we're not proud of is when we're 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 grinding so um yeah i mean we, we do a lot of things too like we have we we because the team's divided between the u.s and canada we celebrate both countries holidays with yeah. a bunch of extra holidays just get people more time off to like unwind and be with their friends and family. And, um, and, and I think that just, it, it helps people's mental health and just to be able to take a break and then come back and, and plug back into a project. You're just doing better work, uh, in the long term. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess kind of what I'm getting out of that and what we've discovered, um, just out of the process changing is that there's no right process for everyone, even for your company as it grows, your, your challenges are different. Um, the yeah. team dynamics are different. What you need out of each other and the ways you communicate is different. So I think it's when founders and teams um, and even like corporate innovation teams, you get into using a software and you never challenge that. I think part of that just comes with like that growth mindset of like, this could be better. And and let's always be thinking of that and saying like, hey, this really isn't working. And it's not on anyone for picking a tool that didn't work. It's like, hey, we're going to try stuff. We're going to have a, an attitude of that experimentation and continue uh, to improve the way we work together. I think that's really important in healthy teams. Yeah. I mean, and I think also just like the tooling too is like, there's no perfect tool. Right. And so sometimes you just have to use what you've got and you know, we were at a point close. one time where we had like six different pro- project management tools that different teams were using. Yeah. We're just like, hold on, timeout. Let's just let's just pick one and we'll all use it. And I know somebody's gonna gripe and groan about it, but it's look, it's gonna capture the task. We'll know where to find it at least. There's like a central repository. Yep. You can assign it to somebody. Done and done. You know, let's let's move on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. So um 
Any other advice you have for people looking to start their own remote teams? I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of what you talked about, I mean, I, you know, tooling and um, principles and, and stuff like that has been helpful. But any, any other I think, methods? I think, I think just do, do it, right? Yeah. So I think, I think we're starting to see a wave happening right now. There's a big sea change that's coming in a lot of people, um, you know, pushing back on conventional wisdom with, with running a company. Um, the, the fact of the matter, it's just easier to hire great talent globally mm -hmm. than it is in a single city or region or the cost involved of needing to, you know, move somebody's entire family from across the country, you know, to where your office is or somebody has to commute. So I think, I think we're going to see a lot more remote companies. Um, I think the other thing, the wave that's happening right now, you know, you, you kind of saw the break with the WeWork, you know, IPO. Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to see a lot of the, you know, oh, we need to really focus on profitability and, and a lot of the wisdom of just like grow. We'll figure out, you know, how, how to actually make money down the road. Right. Um, I think those days are numbered. And so, you know, I think we'll see a lot of companies, you know, started in, you know, and, and, and actually sustain working from home offices like, like, you know, I have for the last three years and then the rest of the team has, um, and, uh, and, and grow and, and build a, a thriving business. Um, Matt Mullenweg from WordPress, uh, from automatic rather, um, he has a quote, I'm paraphrasing, but, um, he says, it's not going to be the Facebooks or the Googles who will be fully remote, remote organizations, but the companies who replace them mm -hmm. will be. Yeah. Um, which is just an interesting thing to think about. And it's, it's starting to come true. Like, um, uh, a couple of years back, I, I went and did a, the dog and pony show down on Sand Hill road to, you know, talk to a bunch of investors and see if, you know, we wanted to raise money. Um, and, and it's really, we were just getting a lot of inbound, yeah. um, which is very unusual for me because I'm used to needing to, do, you know, go knock on their doors and they were all knocking on our door. And so I went down and. Um, there was one investor in particular who was ready to send us a term sheet. Like he was like, we, we, we love dribble. We love what you guys are doing. Like, let's, you know, let's do this thing. And then, uh, and then we had a conversation. I'm like, well, we're, we're, you know, we're like 45 people at the time. We're fully remote and we have no plans to ever, you know, build a hub in, in Silicon Valley. And, uh, that was, I saw the, I saw the look, the expression on his face just change immediately. And he's like, uh, okay. Yeah. And it just completely lost, lost interest after that. And like the, it was done. Yeah. Um, but you know, and it's funny and, you know, and then you see like companies like GitHub, uh, you know, um, massive success, you, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of elastic search, yep. elastic, uh, there, there's a bunch who've, you know, built, um, you know, very successful businesses, fully remote. And I think we're going to see more and more companies um, and investors won't be afraid to invest in those companies because they don't, you know, I, I think it's like if will Google or Facebook or, or Apple, will they buy companies if they're not already located in the, in the Bay Area, right? right. So I think they'll, they'll get over that fear. Yeah, I mean, we we see a lot of people, even in Green Bay, you know, you find going to meetups and and all the meetups we host where you have people working for Elasticsearch, for Etsy, for GitHub, you yeah. know, remote that yeah, you wouldn't yeah. expect in your backyard. And, you know, people, I think it's easy for people to think like, oh, well, 
You know, if you don't see a butt in a seat, like they're not working. But I think the thing you need to understand is like when you're in this industry and you're good at what you do, you really care about the craft. And I think yeah. that's part of that trust that's built remotely is no one's no one's trying to take advantage of it. Uh, and if you are like, it's going to be very easy to tell. Yeah. No, I mean, it's uh, that, that's right. I mean, that's 100 percent, too. You know, and there's it's it's almost instant when you see somebody who's just like unplugged and mm -hmm. not not you know contributing um yeah um <laughs> i forgot my train of thought there um oh i, I was gonna say that you know it's it's funny because we're, we're all tech workers and yet you know we're still going to these metro hubs to work where you know we're all connected all over the world via the internet you should be able to work anywhere just by the the nature of the technology right. yet you know culture pushes you to these cities where rent's really expensive you know everything is expensive food is expensive um so um yeah i i think we'll see a sea change here in the next few years yeah absolutely so what's next for dribble yeah so um you know at a, at a very high level you know, our mission is to make designers successful. We're we're making a ton of improvements um, uh, around just the core platform, and uh, the the growth that Dribble's had over the few years is is pretty remarkable. Um, our community has four uh, xed in the last three years. Wow. Um, it took us. Uh, eight years to get our first million users and it took us just a little over two years to reach three million users um and so there's just a lot of amazing creatives on the platform now who are sharing their work and um and so it's becoming dire important for us to invest in uh in technology that will help bring these designers exposure on the platform and you know whether you have you know, 400,000 followers or 400 followers, you know, if you're, if you're creating great work that people like, we want to, to bring exposure to that work and, and help, uh, help people discover it. So that, that's kind of, you know, at the core that there's a lot of work happening around that that involves search that involves, you know, obviously algorithms mm -hmm. and sorts and, and things that we're working on that side. We're also looking at like curation you know, whether it's curated by our team or, you know, we bring in, you know, you could come on and, and curate some some work that's inspiring you. Yeah. And, and maybe we throw that on the homepage. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's there's a there's some big things happening in, in January. We'll have the first um, kind of visual refresh of the platform um, in, in the last 10 years. Wow. Looking forward so, to that. So that that's coming. Um, Hopefully it's nice colors. <laughs> it's it's the goal is actually lack of colors know, you know we, yeah. we, we want the we want the work to shine and so you know dribble's kind of always taken a very uh minimal approach to to our interface and what we're doing now is actually taking a more uh step backwards to really help the work you know be the the center point of of the experience um so that's coming very soon there's there's a lot of awesome work that um Ryan Johnson and, and, and Roger King have been working on for the last like, you know, six, nine months or whatever. Um, and then, you know, in, in terms of, um, you know, core functionality where, you know, you, 
you mentioned earlier, we, we launched pro business. Um, we've released a lot of different products as kind of MVPs and experiments over the years. And we're starting to um, take all these disparate offerings that are kind of scattered across the experience. And, you know, based on your user condition, you might not ever find it. Right. Or, you know, so we're starting to bring those together and consolidate them. Um, and so, you know, Teams was a product that uh, functionality wise was very similar to Pro. Um, we've now kind of combined that. And now Teams is a feature of Pro Business. And so the goal there is that there's, if you're a designer or creative, there's one kind of uh, product offering for you um, to upgrade into. It's Gerbil still free to use. Um, is it still invite but, only? So it is still invite only. Um, that's another big, uh, you know, internal debate that we're having in, internally. We've, um, you know, invite only was great during the early years to, um, you know, it, it kept quality really high. Um, it kept it to a very controlled, trusted network. Um, but at this stage, it's it's probably hurting us more than helping us. Um, you know, when I joined, there were about uh, 350,000 prospects who were like designers who didn't have an invite, who were like waiting in a queue, waiting to get in. Yeah. Um, and so we, we saw that as like, that's just, you know, our ambition is to move from this kind of exclusive community to an inclusive community. Right. So whether, again, whether you've been at it, you're, you're a 20 year veteran designer or you're a kid straight out of design school, if, if you're talented and, and you're doing cool stuff, we want to, you know, provide eyeballs to your work. You know, we have, you know, we've grown our, our traffic has, has grown 2x or user base grown 5x or, you know, all of our KPIs are up to the right. Five million people a month are coming to dribble um, to, to, you know, browse this, this, this work. And, and, and only three, um, three million members. Is that what you said? Earlier, I mean, it could be a little bit more than that, but it's yeah. I mean, it's a little over three million, but we only started to um, to focus on on registration uh, just you know a couple of years ago. Yeah. So that that wasn't really something that was it used to be like purely invite only. Right. Um, so we're starting to open up the gates and and try to make it a more of an inclusive experience, um, not only for designers but also for you know what we call spectators, so people who are coming to. Um, you know, almost have like a Pinterest like experience building mood boards and, and inspiration collections. And, um, and so we'll be investing in, in that. Um, but I think the big, the big thing that I think people will get really excited about is part of the redesign is we're also rethinking the profile itself, yeah. which, um, you know, hasn't really changed. It was, I'll be honest, it was modeled off the, off of a very early Twitter profile, uh, you know, layout from, from, you know, 2010, and it hasn't really changed much since we really want to evolve, uh, evolve that, um, the look and feel of that page. And, and again, just really help designers work pop, allow them to showcase their best work. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, build community, build, build a network with other designers. Um, and, uh, and, and, the, the real secret sauce, the, the really cool thing about Dribbble um, and why we want to invest in, in the profile is that everyone, every designer has their their portfolio on their domain somewhere and they may update it maybe once a year, maybe two years when they're in between work. But people are constantly updating and adding you know different 
you know, things they're working on or whether the finished product or, yep. or work in pro- progress uh, to the Drupal profile. So it's much more up to date, um, but there's also this network effect built in. So you have this inherent audience built into your work. And so the more active you are in Dribbble, the more likely that you'll you'll build an audience and build a following for your work, um, which is just much harder to do, um, you know, with, with, with your, your personal site, right? It's for a client to find your personal site, you have to like email them your URL. Right. right. Or try to um, rank or do things that are very time consuming to build an audience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, and it's not just not a whole lot of designers even go on that side of, you know, yeah. of the table. It's kind of, you know, you, you set up your Squarespace, your, your Wix uh, subscription, and it just runs indefinitely forever. And, and you touch it when, when, when it's like the, the break at the hall at the end of December right. where you have a couple of weeks and nothing to do, like, oh, maybe I'll update my portfolio. Yeah. You know? <laughs> So, well, looking forward to the changes and all the new things coming. Uh, where can people find and follow you to to stay up to date? Uh, I'm Zach with a K four one five on all the things. So, um, Twitter, Instagram, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I'm not a big blogger or anything like that, so nothing really to pitch. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Zach. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Good to see you again. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to Seaworthy. Connect with us and ask questions on Twitter at SeaworthyFM. Make sure you subscribe, and if you enjoyed it, leave a review on iTunes. Sail forth and make waves.